on the bunker today, we have Mila Koparjeva. Uh, she is from a tiny little town in northwestern Russia, close to Finland. Um, she's a comedian. Uh, she used to be a dancer uh, that had to stop because of physical problems. And um, so she is now, yeah, has started her career as a comedian. She was traveling here through Prague and performing and um, on her way to Berlin. So she's on the road. Um, we talked about, of course, yeah, comedy, stand-up comedy, and uh, um, why she got into it, what it gives for her, and uh, um, yeah, what inspires her, and, and if there is any any specific topics that she would never uh, want to talk about or joke about. Um, and yeah, I think I got a feeling that she she's not really big on this woke culture. I don't think that anyone from Russia is from for for very much into this woke culture. It's a very much of a Western thing, anyway. So, um, and we also talked about narcissism uh, that she had in her family and, 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 you know, how it worked and what consequences it can have and so on. Yeah, um, uh, her life in Barcelona, where she lives, a little bit about that. And, yeah, uh, bits and pieces here and there. Um, it was an interesting conversation. Um, the sponsors, guys, that's uh, the old bar on Seifertova 21 in Prague, um, close to the t- main train station, uh, close to Vinohrati, and it's in the coolest, well, at least as far as I can read, the coolest area of, of Prague right now, which is Sishkov, uh, Prague 2. Oh, it's Prague 3. I don't know. Anyway, it's in Sishkov. Super cool place, great food, amazing service, nice atmosphere, good coffee, uh, skier and old meals with amazing toppings. Check them out on Instagram, the Old Bar Prague. And you can also order online and get delivered home on Walt or Bolt. Um, and then Alfred Jobs, Alfred.cz, Alfred Jobs in the App Store on both Apple and or iOS and uh, Android. And there you can set up a job watch, you can set up parameters for the type of job that you're looking for. And from that moment, when you open the app, you'll see only those jobs free to use. You're anonymous, you can apply with one click. You get rid of a lot of hassle. And there are thousands of jobs there that are you carry around in your pocket all the time. So you don't need to hide that work when you're looking for a new job to get out of that job that you have. You can just take the phone to the toilet and, and you know do it there. Or you can apply on the public transport or in the car or at home on the couch, wherever you are. Alfred Jobs, Alfred Dottie. Check it out. Hello, Mila. How are you? Hi, Omar. Um, I'm okay. Yeah. How are you? I'm 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 good. Um, I just uh, guys that are watching and listening to this, the Mila, me and Mila recorded an episode uh, probably around two months ago at least, uh, which were came as a surprise. Mila came here as a stand-up comedian to to um, to Prague for a visit, and I saw that she was performing, and I knew that she was stopping for a short time, so I called her up, and we we recorded together uh, an episode that actually. Yeah, it was about her journey in comedy, dancing, uh, family, and and uh, narcissism, and, and and life in Russia, and and then um, at that time I had a lot of other content that I was putting out, and and uh, finally when when time came to put out this episode, then we we have a new reality with uh, the invasion in Ukraine and and the war, and uh, and we agreed, me and Mila, that it would be kind of stupid not to talk about that at all so we had this decided to record like a little intro um and uh, yeah we 
I don't think, I don't know, for me, this came as a total surprise. Um, this invasion, what is 24th of, of February, I think it started. So it's it's like one and a half month that it's been going. And Mila, you being uh, from Russia, how, how, how did it look to you? Were you surprised? I was surprised, um, terrified. I don't know if it's a good word to say surprised. I've never expected that, no. Um, I've been following news about what was going on in Russia because there have been stuff in Russia, Belarus, Ukraine, uh, last year's huge things happening, nothing good, unfortunately, but not in details. And as much as I know now, even like political experts in, in Russia, for example, they were like never thinking that it really will go that direction that war will actually start it it was a huge surprise yes and like as, as everyone else i woke up thursday morning to this news on instagram couldn't believe my eyes and uh, um, i've heard one one of my favorite psychologists recently said as an interview and i felt so related to this phrase. This is actually what I felt. It's like one of the biggest childhood fears of us came true. Mm -hmm. Because um, my generation, for example, I'm, I'm 33 years old. Um, my grandparents, whom I, I still met um, in my life, they've been fighting in Second World War II when we were fighting against fascism. And we know what, what it brought to our people. And by our people, actually, what is the craziest thing now for us to, to think is that our people are all of those who were in the Soviet Union back in the days. That means Ukrainians as well. We were fighting together against fascism. And my voice is going to shake now, probably, but what is it now? People of my country are being fascist themselves. <laughs> like I'm saying it out loud, this is huge. And um, I probably get already enough to be imprisoned back in Russia for saying this, of course. Mm. But that, that, that's what we're feeling right now. And it's crazy. It is scary. Uh, you you can't stomach it at all because, um, I mean, Ukrainians, those are, it's a different country. But it's like, I, I grew up thinking of them like brothers and sisters. Mm. We speak the same language. We share the same culture. Um, I have so many friends here from so-called Russian-speaking community here in Barcelona, where I live. Most of them are Ukrainians, my good friends. Their families right now are in danger. Mm. In Kiev, in Kharkiv, Kharkiv is destroyed completely. One of my best friends here, her family is still there. Um, 
and I, I don't really know even how to talk to them. I mean, we do talk, but it was really hard. And I feel like it's kind of my people as well, even though I don't have blood relations in Russia, in, in uh, Ukraine, but I feel like it's our people are being attacked. And what I just can't digest at all, they've been attacked by our people again. Mm. Uh, yes. But um, what about your family uh, uh, back in Russia? I mean, how 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 can you talk to them about this? Um, this is even more complicated topic because, unfortunately, I can't. I mean, we don't. We don't find the same view on the topic. Mm. Like me, I've moved out of Russia when I was 17. I'm 33 years old now. I left when I was a kid. And uh, I couldn't really see closely what was going on there. But I know now that it's been under severe um, propaganda for decades, and it's only getting worse in the last, let's say, uh, eight years, maybe 10, eight years. Mm. So people are brainwashed completely, and there's just no other source of information. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know, but any other source of information is just being blocked, literally. You can't even freely use internet anymore. Basically, everything is blocked. And every alternative media um, is banned. And they're labeled as foreign agent or something, like almost criminalized. Mm. And um, how they show and picture what's going on now in Ukraine is just complete opposite. Like Russian soldiers are going there to save Ukrainians from someone. They can't even explain exactly whom. And by that, they also save Russia from a possible attack. I mean, I'm just saying it in a simple language, but mm. the propaganda level they are in Russia is is great. They're doing a great job. I mean, they great job by by meaning that they really get what they want to get. It's very professionally well made, and it's working. And uh, I'd say, like my parents, for example, they're pretty old and they live in a very small, tiny place. Um, so I would understand maybe that they they never been interested in alternative information, never been interested in politics. Um, what hurts me more is that, for example, my brother seems like not wanting to hear anything different 
And this is what happening with all Russian people right now inside Russia and outside Russia as well. We are divided strongly into two groups who just can't agree because this is too much. Like people who understand what's going on, we are in pain, we are in agony every day because of blame, even though it's maybe not reasonable blame in some parts, like for me, for example, um, I mean, I left when I was 17. <laughs> and like last, last few years, I've been doing whatever I could, trying to vote, trying to protest from Barcelona, because I live here. <laughs> um, but does it, does it change anything? Unfortunately, so far, no. But, but like, <clears throat> I know, of course, like, as you're saying, I mean, and um, the craziness of all this is the fact that these countries, Ukraine and Russia, have so much in common. They have such a, a mutual history and, and the cultural traditions and, and languages and, 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 and all of this. And the... Uh, th so it must be really difficult for, for you and, and, and Russians to... To, to watch this, you know, but on the other hand, I also, I feel in some way that if I look at how Europe and and the US and, and NATO has treated Russia, if we take like historically, um, it has been for me like, a, you know, we have always kept Russia as the bad boy somehow. It, we, we blamed Russia for, for Trump. Uh, then we blame them for... Uh, I was surprised that they didn't blame COVID on, on Russia, but maybe they needed to blame it on China instead or something, you know, like it's... it's um, And and then if, if we think about like um, a country that has a great history as an empire, I mean, Russian empire and then the Soviet Union, and then if we look at where it is now in terms of, you know, influence and geography, then I, I do understand from... Um, from a Russian point of view that, okay, if you have NATO in the Baltic countries, you have, if you get NATO into Ukraine, if you get NATO, you have NATO all around everywhere. Um, and, uh, it, it is, it puts, or yeah, it both puts, puts Russia in a difficult position, but it also gives a Russian politician in this case, Putin, it gives him a chance to create this. It's us against them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it, it gives him a chance to say to his nation, "Listen, they are they are they are just going to take us over if they put uh, if they get Ukraine on board, if they get all the Baltics on board, if they start talking to Georgia, if they start, you know, um, Moldova and all all those countries that are close and around." And and this is new because this wasn't like after the Soviet Union fell. Then you know, okay, yeah, Czech Republic came into NATO, and then Hungary came into NATO. So it's slowly but surely we're always kind of narrowing russia somehow in instead of joining them instead of saying guys just be part of this be part of this club you know let's let's do this together let's do business let's be happy let's you know whatever and so i don't know what i'm saying with this i'm maybe i'm what i'm saying is that we gave yeah we gave russian politicians the chance to kind of turn say us against the world and we also 
in some way provoke a reaction because if you put a, a bear or, or an animal in a corner and you keep poking it with a stick and and, and blaming it and, and pushing it it will fight back and it will not fight back in a in a rational way it will fight back with violence so i don't know if if this is what what they are saying to the nation what or if this is what you hear from your brother for example or or or, or what you know Um, I'm not watching everything what propaganda says. Like I don't need that rubbish. I'd say mm. in in my mind, I know just the main po the main uh, directions I try to follow. But right now, for example, you know what's going on in Ukraine um, with the modern technology in. 21st century, it's impossible to hide stuff. Okay? Mm -hmm. People have their mobile phones at least. So much information being posted on social media every day. And it's just right here. So they have to come up with new excuses daily to um, reprogram uh, the truth into their lives and to kind of explain or prove their lies to to people of Russia. So I don't think they feel really confident right now, but just, just um, kind of in hysteria have to come up with new stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. It And it's insane. It really sounds insane if you look at it from outside. But maybe if you've been living in a bubble and it's like there is no way out, no fresh air inside this bubble, it's mm -hmm. hard to not believe it, you know. Um, speaking about like uh, Western world, so to say, and Russia being against each other, I, I would, well, me personally, I would never call myself that smart or educated about politics. But just as I know that in, inside Russia, what's been happening in the last 20 years, this, our government that we have right now, they have done so much crime inside the country for their own people that it's only getting escalated. And at some point, I, I feel like right now, um, they have kind of, this sounds really bad, this sounds scary, but the situation is scary. They have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. That's a very bad thing, because that means it doesn't really matter what you do. You don't care anymore. And we see the results. We see the results. This is insane what is happening. This is completely insane. That's why like, it was a big surprise for me and for many people. We never seen it coming for real. Mm. But on the other hand, I mean, if we look at history, then I mean, um, we, we, this, we, the, the, the time from the Second World War minus the Yugoslavian Wars, that is the longest, it's the longest peaceful period that we have had in Europe forever. I mean, like, um, 
it, it is, you know, like war is somehow something that has always followed us. But I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily think that people expected Russia to invade Ukraine. But um, I guess what I was trying to say earlier is that I'm, I'm thinking if we in the Western world have somehow pushed Russia to a place where they, like you say, where they feel that they don't have anything to lose. And you're saying that they don't have anything to lose because they've done so much bad stuff inside the country that it doesn't really matter anymore what they do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's how a lot of uh, Russian opposition feels like. Mm, people who understand what's going on. It's like, you know, a situation with Navalny, for example, like last few years, what's been happening with him and people were protesting, like massively protesting um, a year ago uh, when he came back after after being poisoned and came back to Russia. Mm. Um, they locked him in, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Unexpected. Now the, what, they're gonna give him like 1,000 1, <laughs> years in jail for whatever reason, the, mm. the ridiculous ridiculous reasons they're trying to come up with. Um, like massive protests started. And there is a new generation, fresh blood of young people who already learn to speak, to, to, to speak, to learn to think uh, as free people, to actually analyze situation. Mm. These young people grew up and they're, and they're trying to raise their voices to change the situation mm. because it's their country. Yeah. The one who live in democratic free country mm. uh, with good economics, medicine, education, whatever. It's just being destroyed basically by the current government. Mm. So this massive protest started like first after Crimea and then uh, last year, when year, year and a half ago already. It's been massive. So I mean, that was kind of big alarm for the current government, for Putin's government. And by that, I mean, they have nothing to lose. Mm -hmm. They like have no shame in front of their people and looks like no shame in front of the rest of the world either. Are you afraid that this will escalate, that it will become bigger? Um, try not to think about it right now. Um, I got very scared, like when, you know, the, like a week ago, so the talks about atomic nuclear war was mm. here in the news. I got very scared. Um, but just try not to think about it right now. And also, to be honest, there is so much um visual content and news coming from ukraine that like i don't have uh, we a lot of other people around around me here and in other countries where russian people live my friends we don't just have time to think about anything else mm -hmm. like also speaking about like big topic, maybe like Russophobia, you know, like mm. 
council in Russian nation in total. That will happen, I guess it will happen. It's already happening a little bit, but I think it's gonna happen. Like it's gonna escalate in the future. Mm. And it is shitty, yeah. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but it doesn't worry me right now because I'm much more worried about people dying. Mm-hmm. That worries me much more at the moment. When you heard this and when this started, I guess, as you said, you didn't see it coming. How did you feel? I mean, uh, did you did you function? I mean, could you go to work and, and, and do your comedy and stuff like that? Or how, 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 how has this affected you, let's say, emotionally? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the same day I had comedy show. Like, I had very busy two weeks booked with shows daily. Mm, that was not easy at all, no. Um, I have been thinking about this a bit, like, okay, I'm I'm completely not able to go on stage now and be funny because I don't feel funny. This mm. is serious. It's not like me having my personal issues. It's a lot. Mm. But same time, I saw that, okay, I chose to be a comedian professionally. That means I should be doing it in any situation somehow, uh, keep on practicing my craft and stuff. Then I also had obligations to do the shows because now I start my own show. It's like, I, I have to be there to run it. But yeah, that was not easy at all. And uh, same night I had a show. I was probably just lucky that in the crowd, there were mostly people who knew me. So nobody was thinking about uh, giving me any kind of bad attitude. But of course I had to speak about it and then just lashed out. That was (laughs) pure improvisation. And I made some jokes. Uh, for example, that it was surprise for me that it all happened. I mean, I didn't give my consent, but <laughs> whenever you deal with an abusive man, it doesn't matter if you give consent or not, you're going to get fucked anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and I did it. Russia attacked Ukraine at 5 a.m. in the morning. Mm-hmm. Thursday night. No, guys, what I was doing at 5 a.m. I was in my bed. <laughs> I couldn't sleep because I was thinking that my mother doesn't love me. And I choose to be a comedian when I'm like 30 years old now. So I went to bed. I fall asleep as an amateur comedian, woke up as an international aggressor. Yeah. That's a change overnight. Yeah, kind of. But uh, but the but the um, but then I guess the shock comes in, you know, and you 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 get depressed from it, or you know, like do you know what I mean? Like in the beginning, when you're when you hear the news, then you you get adrenaline, and then you know you kind of crash off, right? Um, it's like. 
we're never ready for these kind of situations. Mm. Because normally when something bad happens to you, even it doesn't matter how bad it is. Like, I think this is the worst what is happening right now. This is the worst. Just we are not physically there. I'm not physically there, mm. luckily, yeah? But it is happening and I can't take my mind out of it. It's just the worst what could ever happen <laughs> in the life. Mm. Mm. So normally when something bad happens, at least you know that, okay, uh, it, it might get, it's it's might be escalating until this point, but I'm gonna get down and it it will be over at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But this level of uncertainty, it's stressing you so much. So yeah. um I think I was like in despair, in, in constant dis despair, like weakening health, because I was waking up every day scrolling the news i was checking the news like the whole day and before going to bed and i couldn't switch it off because it's not just um oh, it's not good to have a screen time before the bed no i need to know what's going on because it's too important mm -hmm. so of course i was checking it all the time all the news and uh, um just thinking that you never know when it's gonna be over and it just looks like it's about to get worse and worse and it, it doesn't give you like time to breathe. Mm. Um, but I also I've read somewhere that this is how we react. We need when something completely like very stressful happens, you need at least six days to um, adapt. Mm -hmm. Even when you're doing the best, everything the best you can to adapt. That's what I was trying to do, do my best to adapt. So uh, right now, at least I'm not like, I'm not, I'm not in hysteria the all day long. I'm not like crying all day long, but I used to. Mm -hmm. Do you, yeah. and, and because you mentioned a little bit the Russophobia, I mean, for me, Russophobia, at least here in the Czech Republic has, has lived a very good life for a really long time because of um, something that happened in 1968 when Russia came or Soviet Union sent tanks because the Czechs wanted to get more freedom and the communism. And, and uh, so there, there has always been a Russophobia here at least. And, um, and, uh, and, and in some way there has been this um, mystical Russophobia in other parts of the world that is kind of a leftovers of the Cold War or, or World War II and, 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 and so on. And, um, um, and now I, what I see is that, you know, because the, here in the, pra in, in, in the Prague, oh, this was great, in, in Czech Republic, they, they, um, they didn't like Ukrainians either. Now they like Ukrainians and they just hate, they moved to hate from Ukrainians over to the Russians. Um, I guess where you live in Barcelona, you haven't really had a lot of Russophobia in the past, you know, but do you feel it now? It's maybe again, I'm just, I'm not, I don't notice it. Mm. I mean, definitely it's happening somewhere, but then I'm not focusing my attention on that. And it's, uh, but I think, yeah, it's, it's going to be happening. It's kind of natural. Mm. But here, what, what I'm hearing here is that, you know, like uh, real estate companies don't want to sell apartments to Russians. Uh, 
you know, you, you can't get medical help some places because you're Russian. And these are people who have maybe lived here for many, many years, you know, and, and, uh, obviously have nothing to do with this war, you know, like they're, they just happen to be, have the wrong passport. Um, the, the, you, you, no one has canceled your shows or said, no, we don't want to listen to your jokes because you're Russian or, or anything like that. Well, that sounds really bad. What you telling telling me about mm. people not getting apartments or medical service? That sounds really bad. Um, but shows. Um, I had this two situations quite difficult for me, and the first during the first week. But I so okay. Um, the first weekend after the war started, I had a show on uh, Friday and then on Saturday. Yeah, so those are like big shows and there are people coming to parties, they feel good, they, they drink and stuff. So in the first show Friday, we had like a group of hecklers. Um, I think they were, they were English, English, middle-aged man, drunk, pretty drunk already. So they're walking like in the middle of the show and they started heckling already the person who was before me, just screaming something uh, stupid, whatever. And when I went on stage and I said that I'm Russian, because I think I have to, it's kind of, I have an accent anyway. <laughs> I mean, mm. <laughs> there's going to be a tension in the room, like an elephant in the room. And I have to say, uh, so they screamed very loudly, you attacked Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, well, I, I'm not going to explain how I felt because I felt terrible uh, for multiple reasons because I'm already depressed about the whole situation and now being blamed about it in the middle of the show that ruins the show and the whole room feels uncomfortable because of that already, you know. We're not going to laugh. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and people, even though like the rest of the crowd, they were not feeling bad towards me, but they were feeling bad about the situation. They were feeling the tension. And um, I tried to turn it into the joke, the one that I explained to you before, that not my, not my decision, blah, 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 blah. And he kept on screaming on top and he was screaming the whole show different stuff but just keep on going and that was bad but that was my first encounter with hecklers and uh, i was very fresh freshly traumatized it just happened so the next show uh i was going on stage feeling really like oh, how i'm gonna do this okay like get gather yourself together it's gonna be okay and I go on stage and I say that I'm Russian and somebody started booing me. Like there were people mm -hmm. on my on my left, they were now American guys. They started screaming, boo, very loudly. And again, these guys, I said, they didn't really feel it. They were just drunk and they thought, they, they didn't think too long what they're gonna, what, what they're doing. There was not really feeling it like about the situation. I just knew that it's kind of a trendy hot topic on the news. Mm. Russia is doing a bad thing. 
let's boo them. Mm -hmm. Luckily, that was not like sincere bad hecklers. And I've somehow I've managed to win over this situation and turn it into a really, really good show. And this same people who were booing me, they were congratulating me after the show. They were laughing and stuff. But I was shaking inside. Yeah. And um, I, had, I was crying right after I left the stage. I, I did a really good job, actually, that was because, I mean, I managed to turn this situation into a good show somehow. But yeah, that was bad. Mm -hmm. And um, I also organized the the next week, the, the second week of the war, I organized a charity show to raise some funds to send uh, it over to Ukraine. I thought, who else if not me? I'm the only like uh, originally Russian comedian here in Barcelona. So I organized the show and I was hosting it. We raised a lot of money actually and we sent it to Ukraine. And all the comedians were so happy about it. Everyone beside of me, because I mean, yeah. I, I, I kind of logically understand that we did what we should have done and it's a good job, but I am not feeling like at ease at all because the war is still happening. I mean, we are just trying to help somehow, but it's not helping. And running this whole show was so hard for me. Like mm. I was on the edge of nervous breakdown all the time. Because I was hosting it, I was doing some uh, intermediate jokes and uh, welcoming comedians on stage. And in between, I was just holding my tears. Mm. And as soon as the show was over, I left the club and I started crying in the middle of the street right away. It was so hard for me because there were Ukrainians in the crowd mm. who came to support the show. People who are not used to comedy, first of all, they just wanted to support fundraising. And me, Russian, were hosting the show. Mm. I don't know, like, uh, I could see the pain in the eyes and there mm. was it's just too many emotions and things to talk about. Mm. Yeah, I think anyone, like, I think it's really hard to understand what these people are feeling because, I mean, uh, some of the people that have come here, you know, you realize when you start talking to them that they might never go back home. They, their, their home might be gone. Uh, they might have lost some of their family. It's it's just, it's a lot of stuff that is hard for us that are not with the victims of this to to even understand and connect to you know because i can if i think about like if if i wouldn't be able to go to iceland because iceland is under attack and i wouldn't know something about where my family it's it's a it's a thought that i did, don't even want to think through you know are you speaking now about uh, ukrainians yeah how they feel about it and 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 the same goes for you and that's actually what i wanted to ask you about because how is this? Because I mean, I know you haven't been going back to Russia very much, and you have you don't necessarily have the 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 most beautiful relationship with your mother, for example, which we talked about when we recorded, and will come later on here. But how will this affect you? I mean, do you see yourself going back to Russia? Would you ever go back to live there? I mean, yeah, that's that's um, yeah another topic because it's not 
okay, I'm not considering going to live in Russia ever, but because of the current situation, the internal political situation in Russia, all the repressions that are only getting worse and worse, I don't think it's going to be possible for me to go there. Mm. And I have no idea for how long, maybe for a really long time. Because, um, okay, if, if we don't think about that, just all the flights are cancelled, it's... Yeah, the practical close, part, yeah, yeah. It's practically close to impossible to, to mm. get there. Mm. Second thing is me crossing the border now will put me into danger, me and also my family, because they are related to me, to get a jail time or a huge, massive uh, financial fee. Why is that? For me, expressing disagreement. Mm -hmm. I've been doing this. It's on, it's on my social media. It's everywhere. And I mean, you guys might not believe it, but it is happening. They're checking you like they will stop you on the border, of course, and they will go through your history and everything, find it out. Uh, because right now, this law, this new fresh law is functioning in Russia already very well. People have been getting um, arrested for that. Um, it's very vague explanation of the war, like uh, of the of the law. Um, like you should not raise anti-Russian propaganda, kind of that is said, but that just means that pronouncing world war is mm -hmm. not allowed. Um, people on the street are trying to protest. We are for the peace, not even mentioning Ukraine or Russia or war. Mm -hmm. They're still being arrested. Mm -hmm. Um, talking about the whole situation, not supporting this, not liking the government, that's already like crossing the line. Mm -hmm. And um, as cases shown already in the last year, if you do anything anti-political, anti like show your opposition to Russian government. It's not only yourself who, who you put in danger, but they also can can come after your family. Mm. Because they already know that, okay, young people, they're not scared about themselves being hurt, but they're gonna be scared about their family being hurt. Mm. So we're gonna hurt their family. And that's what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's this is gonna take, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't even see how, but it's going to take a really long time to 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 get to some sort of a normal again, I guess. And um, and I don't know. I I I admire what you're telling me, Mila. I mean, I I uh, I knew, of course, from our, our our previous recording that people can hear later that you're a strong woman and you're capable of of processing things in a very admirable way i mean um, the relationship that you described with your mother and and, uh, and 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 these kind of things and how you kept on going and how how you so i can i mean yeah i can imagine though that this whole thing has been really really hard on you and and uh, and it's not going anywhere you know it doesn't seem to be leaving us somehow it's not like uh 
a snowstorm that that goes away it's it's it seems to be it's going to change probably the world forever right yeah yeah thank you very much but like again like it's it's hard on it's hard on me it's hard on us uh russians but we can't think about it at the moment because it's much harder on ukrainians mm. those people are dying really. yeah i know i know <laughs> it's, yeah we yeah. It's not a moment for me even to consider how hard it is for us, but it's yeah. Later oh. we will. Yeah. <laughs> but I, yeah, I, I thank you for 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 adding this uh, to our 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 episode. And and now, guys, what you will hear is our original recording where we kind of talk more about uh, Mila's uh, childhood, uh, teenage years, development, dancing, comedy, and life in Barcelona, and a lot of different things. And and. Uh, Mila. Hello. Welcome to my podcast. Thank you very much. Mila Kopaeva. Yeah. How do I say that? Kopaeva. Kopaeva. That's Russian. That's Russian. But your name is not just Mila. You have a longer... It's Ludmila. Yes. uh, The Saint Ludmila of Czech Republic. (laughs) Yeah. So we have a saint on the podcast. First time for anything. Um... What are you? Um, I'm a starting comedian. Mm. You're a startup comedian. That's a a, the startup, startup industry is. I used to. Uh, I, let's say like f- about four or five months ago, I used to say um, I'm a wannabe comedian. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> mm, I can call myself a comedian around already. Yeah, you can because I found you. You're on a you're on a European tour now. <laughs> you're you're performing in different European countries, right? In fact, it's right, but it sounds big to me. Yeah, and but you know, fake it till you make it. This is a part of my joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, really. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I actually, yeah. So to be honest, guys, uh, I found uh, Mila on a comedy page in Prague, and I just saw that um, uh, last week. I saw that she was. Uh, they were advertising that she was in town. Um, performing and um so i i just sent you a message on 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 facebook i had no idea if you would see it or not and and then told you that i had no fucking clue what we would talk about but uh, maybe we should talk we should talk and here we are (laughs) we should talk yeah so you you've been performing here um in prague now uh what three two three shows or what um so i arrived on uh, on Wednesday. Mm. And we're recording on a Monday now, so you've been yeah four days here. I did I did I guess three shows, three shows in English, one show in Russian. Uh huh. And how was it? Um, amazing. Mm. Uh, well, not always amazing. I mean, uh, one show, one English show was kind of rough for comedians. Mm. I have to say that was uh, the worst crowd. I have a scene in my life uh-huh. <laughs> was really difficult for everyone. The host was struggling. All the comedians were suffering. Like, it just it, it was a it was a first night, I guess, or the night before they introduced new measures here. So the COVID cur- more COVID hysteria, right? Yeah, yeah like curfew and everything. So mm. I think people just uh, went out to drink until they drop, and they were not paying attention 
on the stage. Like they were not listening to comedians no. uh, talking loudly. It was crazy. Yeah, mm, yeah difficult. I, 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 that it was an interesting thing because, um, um, yeah, we are here in the Czech Republic where sixty-five percent of the people are vaccinated, and it works super well, so well that they are locked at home now and cannot go out to the pub after ten o'clock. And and when the news came, actually <coughs> last week when when you were about to perform your shows, then I, I even thought about it. I thought, shit, and I would never go out on a, I don't know, on a Thursday and get wasted. I thought, maybe it's time not to get wasted. It's going to be the last time, you know? <laughs> Because who knows, if, if if you need if you still need to lock people in when they're vaccinated, then who, when are we going to be able to let them out, you know? I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really sad. It's really sad, especially for um, <coughs> people from our industry. Mm. Shows are getting cancelled. You can't really do anything. It's, mm. it's crazy. And most of the comedy shows happens at night, you know, in bars. Mm. But this European tour, is this like a fancy? Are you flying around in a private jet or something? or, or Because you're going from here to Berlin, right? Yeah, I'm going to Berlin on the cheapest train <laughs> I could find. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no fanciness? No fanciness at all. <laughs> Any back backstage, you know, great food or free booze or something? Free booze, yes. One drink or two drinks if you got a good. <laughs> 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 if you have a good show, <laughs> you can take two drinks. Or maybe somebody likes you, like, I mean, your show and they will buy you a drink. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But I'm not really a big drinker, so it doesn't help me that much. No. But uh, what is it that makes, you know, like comedy attractive to you, like... Like coming here now, you you came here, you do three shows, um, or four four shows. Sorry, or what 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 makes it exciting? Um, I, I'm just starting, so um, a person with my uh, little experience, they would call a baby comedian. Mm. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's maybe a bit unusual for such a baby comedian start travel it but i'm very dedicated and i think uh, it it gives me a lot of experience first because i practice different room i perform for different audience in different countries mm. and i can meet a lot of people a lot of good comedians mm. keep talking um <laughs> okay <laughs> thank you um Yeah, that's why I'm doing it. Actually, I I still have I still have a, like a day job, mm. and I'm spending now all my vacation on this. On this, on my on like money, I could I can spend it. So I'm not I'm not getting anything. I'm getting a lot of experience and beer. Yeah. Or drinks. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of and, experience. And you get to see new new cities. I do. Yeah, mm. actually, uh, I never been to Prague, for example, mm. and I don't know when I would go. Mm. So I'm here now, and I love it. Yeah. Um, but in the past, you you did a lot of different stuff. I mean, you you were a dance teacher and a dancer. Uh, you worked on cruise ships. You were cleaning a pizzeria. You may you've done a lot of different things. Uh, where where did it all start? Where where are you from originally? I was born in a um, little town in uh, Russia. Mm. In the north, it's called Kastamuksha. Uh -huh. It's a Karelian name. And Karelia, it's, it's, it's like a region in Russia and in Finland. And a small ethnic group of people. 
who used to speak Karelian language, which actually sounds more like Finnish than Russian. Mm. Um, yeah, I'm from there. And, uh, I, I can tell you a curious fact about Kastamuksha. Like it, it's in it's in Karelian language, so it's um, made from two words, Kosta Musta. That's translated as Black Revenge. Aha, uh-huh, great. And I have a joke about it. <laughs> oh, it's a very positive name. <laughs> um, sorry? It's a very positive name for uh, a town. Uh, you know, like it's Norse, dark, all the, you know, all the mythology for it usually, and like stories from the, from the northern countries are really dark. So I, I believe there is something about it. Yeah, there is a legend. I can't really remember well what happened, but there was something about, yeah, Black Revenge makes sense because some people lived on this land, other bad people came over, you know, they killed a lot of people there, robbed them, mm. took away their women and something like that. So It sounds very much like Vikings visited or something. Yeah, yeah, because it's close to Scandinavia. Mm. And and well, so you say you have a joke about it. I mean, is that part of your comedy program? I mean, do you make fun of your hometown? Um, it's just one of my uh, intro, mm. you know, intro jokes, intro lines. And um, I I was not going to use it, but uh, once I said this fact about my my hometown is called Black Revenge to some of my comedian friends, and they were like, "Wow, you have to make a joke about it. Yeah. It's amazing." And yeah, I, I did because um, a lot of my material is kind of dark, and also I'm a, I think I'm a little bit weird. I'm like a alternative comedian, I'd say. Um, Do you want me to comment on that or or? If, if please. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why would you ask if you don't want to? <laughs> no, okay. Yeah, you you're a little bit different. It's it's like it's it's like a a perfect heckler. <laughs> yeah, you're, per- you're 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 a little bit different. <laughs> little bit. Uh, all right. So I I need I need sometimes um to kind of make a disclaimer, mm. you know, or um introduce um my audience to that kind of material that is gonna be unusual. So I need to be prepared mm. for that. Mm. So I just throw a little little joke about that and they already woo, okay. And then you say a dark joke and they already prepare it because they think, Oh, it's fun. She can't say dark joke because she said that it's gonna be dark. Yeah, so you set the tone in the beginning in a way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or the atmosphere. But uh, so so I, I checked this town actually. I went on on, on, on Google and, and I was checking it and it's like an old mining town, thirty thousand inhabitants, close to Finland as you said, and it's super far north. So you get long winters, super cold, Within. and then and then you have sunshine in the night in the summer, right? Uh, yes, yes. It's like a polar night, polar day. Yeah. And I love it, actually. Mm. I used to enjoy it very much. I don't know what about now. Maybe, maybe I would have some problems sleeping in the middle of summer mm. without uh, dark curtains. But I used to sleep just perfectly 
the sunshine. It's not like sunshine, but it's it's light. bright. Yeah. It's bright. It's, it's the same what we have in Iceland, where I'm from. You know, okay, and, so, and so yeah. we we need to we learn to sleep through this. You know, and mm -hmm. and that and but it was funny when you came here today. I asked you, well, <laughs> what do you like about Prague? I love it's cold. I like it's cold because you live in Barcelona. <laughs> yes. And then you told me that in Barcelona it's. It's warm outside and cold inside, and here it's cold outside and warm inside. As it should be. That's yeah. proper distribution of temperature. Yeah. <laughs> but are you ever, like like in Barcelona, are you underdressed? Do you know what I mean? Like Because when, when I go to Spain, I see someone, it's maybe 12, 14 degrees outside, and they're wearing a winter coat, you know? And I'm on my T-shirt, because in Iceland, <laughs> this is summer. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm more like local now. Yeah. Uh, Usually, people who are wearing like flip flops and shorts and t-shirts, winter time, mm. calendar winter in Spain, those are tourists, and we know those are tourists. Yeah. Like why? Why do they do this? It's winter. Um, yeah, I I used to be the same when I was just coming to Barcelona first, like a tourist myself, mm. and now not anymore. No, I wear. What what people should be wearing winter time? <laughs> yeah, you're conforming with the the crowd. <laughs> yes, and I feel like also I you know you get used to things. Mm. But this so back to your hometown, uh, Black Revenge. Uh, uh, okay, let's give it a proper name. It's Kastamuksha. <laughs> yeah, I like I like it's easy. <laughs> it's a very difficult thing to pronounce for me. But um, um, what? So it was a mining town. I mean, is it a nice place now? Has it been kind of maintained nicely, or is it is it one of those older industrial towns which hasn't really been paid any attention to for the last thirty years since the end of communism? Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, let's start with uh, you said earlier that it's like old mining town. It's very young. It's very young. That's why it's kind of different from most of province towns in Russia. Mm. It's not older than 40 years for sure. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay, I, so I so I, I I'm wrong. A bit, a me bit. And, me and Google are wrong. A bit, but it's a mining town, yeah. They they built a mining factory and the town around it. Um so my parents who are now like sixty five years old, uh their generation were the the people who first arrived to that place to build a town around the mining factory. Mm. All all over from uh, Soviet Union. So it's it's quite mixed. Like It's not only people from the north who are originally from there, from Karelia. There are people who came from uh, areas where is Ukraine or... Uh, Belarus or... Belarus, yeah. yes. And from, from Siberia, somebody came also from mm. there. Yeah, it's quite mixed, and um, like my generation, my um, brother generation, who is like older, seven years older than me, um, they also quite mixed. I, I don't know. I, I I've always been um, proud of people from my town because I I could see that they are um, like mixed blood. You know, when you mix north with the south, something mm. interesting comes out mm. usually. Mm. And and you said you had a brother. You obviously had parents and grandparents and everything there. I mean, it w was there a big family there that you had, mm -hmm. or, or you have? Mm -hmm. um, usually in Russia, and especially if you're coming from a small place, mm. like 
um, my town is very small. My parents both are from villages. Um, families are really like stick together. You know, you you don't uh, you 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 don't like spend your life uh, most most of your days only with your like close family. I mean, your parents and your siblings, but um, aunts, grandparents, your cousins, all of them are very much involved into your life daily, mm. daily. And I have a huge um, amount of relatives, and I've, I've been growing together with my cousins, like they, if they would be my siblings. Mm, my mom, she has like seven, uh, seven brothers and sisters. Mm. It's quite a big family. Each of those have like four, three kids. So it's a big crowd. Mm-hmm. So you're like ten percent of the town. <laughs> no, not not all of them live in Kastamuksha. Uh-huh. And and what did your parents do? I mean, th- so they th- they were working around the mining then, or or yeah, my dad, my dad was working at this mining factory all his life. Mm. Now they are both retired already. My mom, she used to work on the customs mm-hmm. first because uh, yeah, I didn't mention that Kastamuksha is on the border with Finland, so it's like sixty kilometers uh, from the the customs mm. yeah did you see that um, netflix series uh the finnish one that um, happens there on the border border town or borderland or something it's called no now i'm very curious uh, about i will it. send it to you that's a great one because so it's a <coughs> I, I i'm pretty sure it's around that area because it's um uh there's a lot of lakes I mean, yeah, well, it's Finland. There's lakes everywhere there in yeah. and, and in Siberia as well and, and northern Russia. But um, uh, you need to check it out. It's it's really, really good. And this is this, a uh, policeman who is kind of autistic in a way or, or you know, has some sort of a uh, syndrome that... Um, but he, he ha- has visions and he can, you know, solve very complicated cases and feel where people are and stuff like that. It's super, super cool. What I found interesting about it also is just the characters, you know, because, and I'm curious, are you guys the same like the guys in Finland, that they say one word maybe uh, every 24 hours? No, completely no. Uh, and it, it surprised me because uh, um, later I moved to Finland, mm. and, you know, because we lived on the border, we uh, we went to Finland often just for a weekend. Mm-hmm. You know, Finnish people were coming to 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 my hometown also to just buy cheap uh gasoline or something um and as as much as i know finnish people now they always try to kind of explain or excuse the um shyness um or uh cold behavior by just being from the north mm-hmm. But that's bullshit. We're, we're, I'm from Iceland. We're not like this, right? And people from Kastamuksha or from Russia, uh, overall from Russia, from from even places more like further north, g- further north. Mm. Yes, they are not like that at all. Mm. They are energetic. Uh, um, yeah, maybe depressed, but in a different way. Like Dostoevsky yeah. depressed. You know, yeah. we're all gonna die. Life is hard. Suffering. Suff- have to suffer. But it's different. Yeah, it's completely different thing. Yeah. And how 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 was your, you know, how how was life there for you when you were young? Were you inspired by your parents or pushed by your parents? I mean, what kind of, uh, you know, what what 
what dreams did they have for you, if any? Oh, mm, my parents and my family in total is kind of um emotional topic for me, but I can talk mm. about it. Mm. Um, so I'm 33 years old now, and I just started realizing what was going on, uh, what kind of patterns uh, was happening in inside our family about like two years ago, mm. you know. And so basically, I I think that my mom she's she's an artist, mm -hmm. and um, that was the reason uh, for my not only childhood but also my whole life up till now being kind of complicated and uh, i carry a lot of traumas and i think uh, I, i was not really free to fly wherever i want do whatever i want mm. uh, most of my life but i had an illusion of this i have to say when i was uh when i was a really young kid because um i'm very different from most of my family, which is not good, not bad, I think. I was just different. For example, most of them are like mathematicians. They have like that kind of mind, uh, including my mom and my big brother. Mm -hmm. I was always more creative. Like I, uh, I like to draw, paint, I like to dance. That was my two main things uh, ever since I... More creative artist. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very empathic. Mm. Um, I can feel people, I can talk to people, I like to be around people. And uh, so when I, when I was a kid, they did send me to art school so I can draw and they sent me to dance classes like mm. so I can dance. But later on when I was growing and it was about time to choose my life, my, my, life, my future, <laughs> my profession, mm. um, I was told that all that was bullshit and it's not bringing you anywhere. You have to do something that will provide you a job and that will be secure and you definitely can enter that university and, and stuff like that. That was kind of excuses I remember they told me mm. when they actually forced me to go study economics, which I completely didn't understand why. I remember I was crying I was crying. I was in hysteria. They were like, "You have to do that." Mm. Like, okay. Uh, yeah. So that that was kind of strange to me because I was like, "Why would you send me to art school, spending half my day, five days a week there?" Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, when later on you tell me that it's nothing, it was for nothing. Mm. Why? It makes no sense to me at all. But if we, if we talk about like uh, uh, narcissism in general, like I mean, um, I, g I guess that everybody who's listening knows what, what narcissism is, so we don't necessarily need to go into that. But but what what were I mean? So you you're kind of saying that you realized this later in life that the, the, those patterns. But what kind of patterns were these? I mean, obviously this that uh, what you described is that whatever you wanted to do was not good enough, so there had to be some other path that you should follow to make your parents happy, mm -hmm. not necessarily yourself. It, that was not like an, you know, that, that was not one of the criteria for your education. 
if you were happy with it or not. But what other, like, you know, what was it like, is it your father or your mom or both of them or... or, or I think that my dad was also kind of oppressed and maybe up till now still oppressed by my mom. Mm. Power. Um, so in total, she she always um, positioned herself as a victim. Mm -hmm. Like I'm doing so much for all of you guys and uh, this is what you give me back. Why are you doing this to me? Um, even coming back to that question about education, like I have a big brother who is um, on different positions than me, like he's call it golden child or something, so he's her favorite mm. and everybody's favorite and uh, actually the reasons, as I mentioned for my mom was not to let me choose my education, she was like I can't, uh, I can't Go through this again. Go through this. She means that being nervous or worried about her child to not get in the university from the uh, first try and just wait one more year preparing or something like that. That was happened with my brother. Mm. So he wanted to be uh, um, an IT engineer. He's quite talented in that and now he's very successful at his job. And first time, he didn't get through. Nobody said him nothing. They supported him, and he stayed at home just uh, preparing for one year. Yeah, but if it would have been you, then, or if, if it was in your case, that would be a problem. Uh, yeah, and mom said, like, I can't, uh, I can't do this anymore, like, being worried so much or disappointed, I guess. That was maybe behind the lines. But... Now I think back about it, I, it makes no sense because this is my life. Mm. Uh, but if you would have done what, what she expected of you, would she then have been happy? Or she would have found something else to make herself a victim about? I don't know, because she was kind of, you know, metaphorically choking me all the time, like not, mm. not um, letting me do not this, not that, the way I dress, the way I talk, people with whom I try to be friends. I remember back in my childhood, I never could uh, build solid, long-term relationship with people. I think now it has something to do with her because uh, she would just... Whenever whenever I, I start developing a relationship with someone, like friends, uh, she would either find... Um, a sneaky criticism criticism about these people that actually happened with my first boyfriend mm. um, or just not letting me go hang out with them, finding some reason that it's late, it's dangerous, you have to study, whatever. Mm. Um, and big part of my childhood, I was just sitting home alone, basically reading books. That was my fun. I, I enjoyed it, but now, I don't think that was very healthy mm. for a child. But uh, and, and so when did you realize that there was something <coughs> wrong? Um, I knew there was a lot of things wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I knew there was a lot of things wrong because I was always suffering. Like, um, I, I moved later on. I moved from Kastamuksha to Finland mm. when I was, um, hold on, uh, 18 already, I guess. I just turned 18. Um, 
And now I think that was kind of escape. Back in the days, uh, I was thinking that I'm doing it because I was in love. Yeah, because I, I really had a, um, a guy uh, who lived in Finland already, also from my hometown. Mm. And uh, we started dating or something like that. We had some romantic story between us, but I'm pretty sure, I was very sure back in the day that if I would have something interesting for me to do, like um, studies or some hobbies or some circle, some support, like at home in Russia, I would never go to Finland. Actually, I never wanted to live in Finland originally. You just didn't want to live at home. Mm, yeah, now I realize that it's it was just, it was just escape uh, because if I would have to stay in Russia, even if I moved to another town, mm. I would be still um, very much under control, like on a leash. Mm. But I think it's I think it's very common in 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 these cases. I mean, I've had some people on 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 my previous episode that have been helping people with narcissism, and narcissism is a very complicated. There are multiple different types and all that. I mean, it's a it's not like a straight cut one type of person, but what you're describing with the victim is a is a very common thing that you know I've done all this for you know, and this is how you thank me for it, and this is how you appreciate it yeah and then when you try to satisfy that or you try to do the right thing, then there's just something else, so you're just you're always running after a moving target, mm-hmm. and i think I think actually a lot of victims or children of of narcissist parents um they end up moving because it creates the distance that they need somehow to to create their own life you know to kind of step out of the shadow in a way at least not to suffer every day that's what i was uh, saying that you asked me um mm. how uh, when did i realize that something mm. was wrong L- like so i moved to finland and of course i was coming back home just to visit you know, and every time I was visiting, I was terrified. Mm. I never was coming home like home. Mm-hmm. Because um, of what the, she would ask you then? or or Something would happen every time. Something would happen. And I never knew the reason, but I just, I was going there and I knew there would be a scandal or she will be after me. She will scream at me for something. Um, and I felt like guilty. Mm. Being absolutely sure that I am guilty, not even understanding for what. <laughs> that That's the worst crime. And she would uh, tell me for what, <laughs> which would say, again, not, not really um, making any sense, but still. Yeah, and every time I would go uh, to visit them, either on the day one or somewhere during my stay, or even no situation allows you to make a scandal, it will happen just at the door when I would leave. Mm. And I would come back to Finland and feeling depressed uh, for days. Actually, I had a first outbreak, complete outbreak. When um, I came back from from home, from Russia uh, to Finland. And wh- uh, how do you call it? Is it like a depression attack? Yeah, or like yeah, breakdown or or, or, uh, or anxiety attack or yeah, yeah. Um, I just I was crying. Panic attack. Day and night. It was panic attack uh, for a week. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> I couldn't go to work because I couldn't sleep the whole night. I would never sleep. I would cry all the time, all the time. I started having like breathing problems as well. Couldn't inhale. 
Uh, so then I had to go to doctor and she said, you are stressed. <laughs> Here are all these pills. I don't know what pills were that because there was nobody around me. And you know, um, when you are in this kind of situation, you don't really uh, process things. You just do whatever doctor says to mm. finally sleep. That mm. was the thing mm. I needed to sleep. Yeah, and that was absolutely because of visiting home. Mm. But it, it's, um, um, I don't know, I mean, you, you said your mom is 60-something. I mean, um, and I, I, I think there is a lot, I, you, and maybe one of the reasons why narcissism is such a big topic or has become such a big topic, let's say in the last maybe 15 to 20 years, it has become a bigger topic and it's it's, I think it's getting even bigger and bigger. I think to some extent people at that age that like, I don't know, that are maybe from 60 to 80, 90 years old, they are a product of a very different society than what you are. You know, like, um, mm -hmm. um, and I, I often, you know, have a feeling that now we have this idea that children are made out of love. You know, that, that you're with someone and you love that person and you want to build a family. Or do you want to say that people are, m like, uh, having children more consciously? No. Yeah. Whereas in the past, I mean, they didn't have the same access to uh, contraception, for example. And a lot of these families that, like, your grandparents, my grandparents... They just needed workers. They just needed someone to work in the farm. You know, like they just needed mm -hmm. more kids to provide and to g gather. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they weren't loved. They were work, or you know, they had a purpose or 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 something. Yeah, yeah, could be that, or just uh, unexplained, unex unexplained tradition. You know, just uh, in your minds, it it still runs. I think in um, small places like Astamuksha, mm. that at a certain age you have to get married and at a certain age you have to get children. Mm. You get first, okay, where's the second one? Mm. And so on and so mm. on. It's still the same Same with my brother, for example. Yeah, but like you said, your 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 mom had seven yeah. siblings, right? Yeah. So... Like okay, in my family, my great great grandparent, he, uh, he father, he was a farmer. He just needed workers in the farm. So wh what's better than to fuck and get a new worker in it nine months? Be. You know, it could be. Do you know these crazy stories? Um, um, for example, when so my mom, she's from the village, right? She really had to. Uh, her parents uh, had to go to work. Mm. Yeah, all day, and there were no one. There, there were no like kindergartens or things like that. Mm. No, so if you have this many children, it's hard to manage it. Mm. And uh, if you are too small to control yourself, and there is no one around to uh, to take care of you, they would just tie your leg to the chair. Yeah, <laughs> so you wouldn't leave. Like an animal. Yeah. yeah. So you just stay there. Though they kind of protect you this way, so mm. you're safe. Mm. But how traumatizing could it be for I, I actually this this was done to me when I was a kid not to a chair but I was put on a on a rope to a, a, a stick in the garden so I wouldn't go ah. at least I was outside it was fun you know but I don't <laughs> think that people would be 
this wouldn't be something that uh, would be normal today. But it was normal when I was growing up, and I'm grateful for it because, you know, that meant that when I was a two-year-old, I could spend the whole day outside, but I couldn't leave. You know, I couldn't go out to the street or, or, or you know, get into any danger. But I could move around in the garden on a rope. <laughs> it was kind of like having a dog, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway, with, with the, so y- you started working on this, and, and, and obviously... As you're describing, you're saying that you know you you there was a you got this panic attack and it lasted for long and you is that when you then you started I mean what what have you been doing you've been going to therapy or reading about it or and and oh not not yet not yet in those mm. years it was long time ago um, yeah but since then I mean did you I started thinking about it yeah but we mm. I still couldn't couldn't really. Uh, accept the idea mm. that maybe my mom doesn't really love me and there is something really toxic about our relationship. Somehow it's even easier to um, to believe that uh, you are the the problem. The problem, yeah. Mm. And maybe it's easier in the beginning. Because they program it into from when you're really small. So. Also, yeah, because I'm programmed, yes, and um, the whole family around me also acknowledge it. Mm. You know, everybody's playing their own role in this uh, sick environment. Um, yeah, so now I'd say I believe that it's kind of a miracle that some of us uh narcissist survivals from like a narcissistic family mm. it's a miracle that some of us realize it one day because it would be I could believe that it would be very normal for a person like this to never even realize what's going on or s- start uh, working on that yeah I, I, I totally agree with you and I think that when you hear people talk about this and I always t- and when, when they have realized this and they start dealing with it that I'm always so happy for them because even if they just have 10 years more to live if those 10 years can be better than the the time before you know Mm -hmm. because I I, yeah it's it's a it's such a complicated because you know physical violence I mean leaves a lot of trauma and but it's um and you maybe you never heal from it but it's so visible somehow and 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 it's so easy to explain it. It's so easy to say, yeah, my dad punched me or my mom kicked me or whatever, you know. And and, and, and we can relate to it somehow because it's something that, yeah, I, br- I broke his finger or the nose broke or a blue eye or something. It's very, it's very much in our face. But when someone talks about trauma caused by psychological warfare, like I would like to call narcissism because it's mm-hmm. very much behind closed doors it's very much secret it's very much dressed up in you know victim or helpful or a saint or whatever the role that the the narcissist takes i think to the outside world uh, people will not always how to say buy into it they won't necessarily even believe you when you talk about it and they won't see that I don't know because there isn't this physical thing in it somehow. Yeah, you get what course, I mean. Of course, because uh, it, it can even be behind the doors, inside. Mm. <laughs> like mm. I mean, inside they 
the inside the family. Mm. I mean, um, this is so subtle, and the worst thing that my mom would do to me, it it will be always just between me and her. Mm. Not so that my brother could see it. Mm. Not so that my dad could see it. Mm. This is how it works. But mm. there is also explanation because, in fact, they know what they're doing. Mm. And, of course, they don't want to be discovered that the biggest fear to to be exposed actually exposed mm. or recognized as a, a wrong person but yeah. i also ha- think that as, as you said earlier that and i actually read it in some book about evolutionary bi- bi- biology and and, and uh, uh, that it's not it's not 100 percent sure some some moms see their daughters as a competition Mm-hmm. They see them as, because you know when we were tribal animals in where there was, uh, you know, one male and maybe three females, and then somebody grew up and and oh shit, she's more pretty than me. We need to get rid of her. I need to kill her or whatever. You know, unfortunately, we still have this, um, or some of us at least still have this DNA in us or or this how do you say programming. So it's it's you know it's not even sure that maybe your mom. Just saw you as a competition. Could be, yeah. Could <coughs> be. Also, because um, uh, it, it may. I I saw that she was seeing me as a competition or just jealous um, to my dad mm. because we used to have amazing relationship with him when I was very very uh, young. When I was a child, uh, we loved each other enormously. He mm. was very sweet to me he was very kind we were playing together and i i loved him and i was always uh, trying to spend more time with him mm. because he gave me love mm. he was giving me love he was telling me story and i think i think he he taught me a lot about how to see uh, how to be creative as well how to see interesting things in daily situations mm. and surroundings. So maybe she could see that and that was uncomfortable. Mm. At this moment, I can't explain how did it happen, but I'm pretty sure that it's all um, this um, strategist of narcissist, maybe. Mm. Me and my dad, we have like no connection at all. I mean, we never fought. Like there was nothing for us to argue about to, or to to argue. Yeah, there was mm. no situation like that. But just uh, slowly, it diminished. Like we don't we don't really communicate. She got in between. She is in between. Like even even all the contacts I have with my family are through her. Mm. If I want to talk to my dad, I have to talk through her. Mm. So then it's not going to be a sincere conversation. Mm. She's afraid to lose control she of the situation. She wants to control mm. everything and everyone around, yeah. Mm. Sounds like <laughs> every time when I have to talk about it, about my mom, um, I explain these awful things and just sounds like I hate her mm. and I don't like it. No, but you can love someone who is behaves like an idiot. I mean... Uh-huh. You can also love, you know, like, 
if, if, if you had a child and that child would kill someone, you would still love your child, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I th- I, and I, th- I think this is, you know, because I've read a lot about narcissism and I have it around me as well. Um, I think this is where often people struggle the most because <coughs> you can you can love someone who is bad. It's possible. Th- and, and, that, and in this case, you know, like, this is probably the only trick that your mom knows. She's just a one-trick pony in this, you know. She doesn't. She doesn't know any other way, you know. And she thinks she this is normal. Know. This is her normal. Um, but you, well, I think, in your case, and I, in my, I'm, I don't, need, I'm not a therapist, you know. I'm, I'm, this is free advice. You, you just need to learn to live with it somehow and still be able to accept her as that you have a mom, you know. Yeah, what I'm trying to do now. Well, um, don't like my my therapy, my recovery is step mm. by step. I think first of all, I need to uh, finally become a whole person, mm. grow up. So I need to kind of be a mother for myself as well. Mm. You know, I, I feel like it's it's beautiful the the moment when you realize what was going on. All yeah. this time is because beautiful. that's when you can change. It's very liberating. Mm. Um, you can see things wider. Mm. It's like really you get an out of cage, mm. mentally and physically as well. Because all my life I've been kind of trying to escape, trying to escape um, physically mostly, mm. and now I feel emotional or psychological escape. But I th- think emotion. the physical escape is also is super important because then you get away from the, di- you get a distance to the situation that enables you to see it differently. Because when you're in it, when you're physically still in the in the circle where all mm-hmm. everything is happening, you you never see the big picture. Of course, yeah. So I think it's very common for, for, for people who have been experiencing this in their family is to create this distance and that then leads them to the, the let's say the, the psychological or, or, or non-physical and mental dealing with it mm-hmm. but uh, who am I I'm not an expert but they wrote books about this I mean there are books about this topic and there is a lot as I said I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of attention on this now and I, I, I think it can't be a coincidence there is something in the generation of our parents and grandparents that happened. Generation, you think? Yeah, yeah it could be. Also, also because we are, the, the humanity is recovering from the, the war. Mm. And communism and a lot of other things. Communism and fascism, yeah, on mm. both sides. Mm. Yeah. Finally starting to just uh, breathe freely and live, you mm. know, not mm. survive. Mm. Maybe that, yeah, you're right. Um, <coughs> but you you keep a relationship with them still, or with your mom somehow still, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes. Yes, trying. Uh, I chose this uh, strategy of, um, uh, how, how do you call it? Greystone. Greystone, yes, Greystone. Mm-hmm. So we talk about weather mm. only. <laughs> yeah, you keep you keep the relationship superficial. Yeah, 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 yeah. But 
that's what she's been talking to me also mm-hmm. um, for quite uh, many years. And I, I was always thinking that it's kind of stupid. Why, in my mom, why are you asking me if it's cold or whatever? Just check the weather forecast, you know, ask me how I feel, what's going on with my mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. No, but um, that that's right. I, I'm consciously only just replying quite shortly about some things, not even about big changes in my life, never about how I feel, never about my plans, because uh, definitely she will she'll, uh, try to catch it yeah. and bring she'll me... hook into that somehow. Yes, yeah, hook into this and uh, somehow bring me to another breakdown. Mm. It actually happened quite recently, last time, uh, about a year ago. Mm. and I'm terrified. I don't want it to happen anymore. Mm. But yeah, those who are listening and don't know what greystoning is, then that, that's one of the methods that the that, uh, victims of narcissism and, and, and those who want to keep a relationship with a narcissist can t- can do. And, and, and the analogy is, I think analogy is the right word, is that a greystone at the bottom of, of a river or a wa- lake doesn't draw any attention. A white stone, black stone can do, red stone, green stone... The greystone never does. So you, you basically, as 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 Mila was describing here, you you don't give any personal things. You keep it on a level where nothing that is said can hurt you, can get into you, can create that atmosphere or, or trigger you. To yeah. Yeah, like you don't get engaged at all. Yeah, basically. Um, anyway, um, I didn't know when you came here that we would talk about this, so, so it wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't on, on my plan, but I'm, I'm happy that you, you shared this, and, and, and of course this explains somewhat part of your journey, because, I mean, you moved to Finland when you were 18, and then, um, you, you, you eventually got into dancing, uh, yes, I, I I shall say that dance was in my life all the time with uh, with long breaks mm. sometimes. Mm. I started dancing when I was five. Yeah. Um, I had to stop when I went to this art school because it was taking all my time besides the regular school, and I was missing it so much that I went back to dancing right after. And uh, yeah, I was um. After after high school, I studied in university in Russia for two years. Mm. Then I escaped. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, uh, these two years were amazing because I I started dancing with one company uh, in Kastamuksha, which I love very much. Uh, my good friends up till now. I love our choreographer, the the leader of that group. It was amazing. And when I went to Finland, also I had like a break of one year when I just I couldn't find anything. Um, what I could join. And then I met um, Cuban dancers there in Finland. And that was completely new style to me. And like Cu- Cuban dance then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They must have loved it in Finland, the Cubans. You know, the Cubans oh are super, super friendly, super open. And then they get to Finland where nobody says a thing. Very, they're very popular there. Uh huh. Yeah, very popular. <laughs> But uh, and and you became a dance teacher, right? I mean, you you yeah, slowly, occasionally. So I I met this 
there's there's people I started uh, started dancing with them also performing uh, in in groups. Mm. Uh, it was in Kuopio where I lived first in Finland. It's like a um, much bigger than Kastamuksha, but still um, quite small place, you know, in central Finland. So I was dancing Cuban dance and African dance, and then I get to know about dance hall. Mm-hmm. By just uh, what's that? Dance hall is a Jamaican, Jamaican music and dance style, or I would say the whole culture, because the world, the term dance hall means a place where dance hall, how <laughs> to say, is happening. Mm. So it's all together, the music, the the place where you have a kind of um, dance floor or something. It's usually outside, actually. Uh, Selecta, how they call it in Jamaica, a DJ who plays the music and he MC as well. Dancers, drinks, all these things. The party. Uh, this is dance hall, and I just I just saw randomly some video on YouTube, the the music video of um, Idonia, the dance hall artist, and I was like, oh my god, I love the rhythm. Mm. I want to know about it, and I started making a research on the internet first, and then I found um, there were some people who who were playing selectors, the sound system. In Finland, playing this kind of music, reggae and dance hall, and they were living not in Kuopio but closer to Helsinki, the capital. Mm. So I went, I went to Helsinki uh, specifically for that to visit dance hall party to get to know people, and I was just, uh, I was just so impressed mm. of uh, of the energy of uh, how people dance and everything. I enjoyed it so much, and decided I need to learn about it. And uh, how I started teaching dance, it was just um, a Karen. Like first, I, I was going to this dance school, and um, because I was doing very well, like I was one of the, I don't know, one of the best students. Maybe I was also performing with a students group and stuff. Uh, so once I needed uh, to substitute a class, mm-hmm. and I decided I can try to do this, so mm-hmm. I kind of. So it became a career. Uh, yeah, I substituted once, I substituted twice, and then, uh, okay, you can teach here. Mm-hmm. And I started teaching in different schools, and it became a career, yeah. Mm. I was teaching, uh, I was performing with groups. Um, it, it's like when you when you start, when you get into this, um, opportunities are coming to you somehow. Mm. Then I moved to Helsinki completely, and um, they were like artists coming to Helsinki to perform, and they needed like dancers for their shows. Mm. So they would, you know, pay money, and we would dance for them, mm. um, helping for music videos and things like that. Um, yeah. So, so, and and that that's that. Then, as you say, because also what you're saying, you you know, you go from from your how to I say. The, the Black Revenge. Kastamuksha. Kastamuksha. You go from Kastamuksha to, in Finland, to... Kuopio. Um, yeah, Kuopio. And then from there, and you're always moving into a little bit of a bigger environment. And right, obviously yes. with that comes a bigger opportunity, more people, as you're saying, you know, some... You would never have a, a band coming to 
to Coopio that would then come to Helsinki, you know, like they, they wouldn't come there. So your opportunities come. And that's where you decided to go and become a super dancer in Barcelona, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Things were going pretty well. Like Even a bigger venue. I mean, mm-hmm, Barcelona, mm-hmm. especially in those dances, I guess, is even bigger than Finland. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I think I always had this... Um, this there's willing to bring myself to more challenges. Like once everything is settled and my life and just I have no problems. <laughs> and you look for them. I'm bored. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think that's a very common trait of a child of a narcissist. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Do you think, think yeah, so? I think so. Yeah. I never, I never thought about it. Mm. Yeah. So finally, uh, uh, everything was good uh, in Finland. But I saw that I'm kind of I'm bored. I saw that I don't I didn't want to stay in this country for the rest of my life. I need something else. Maybe I I didn't feel like I I fit for this uh, community also cuz you mentioned you know Finnish people are quite uh, um having a different kind of character. Mm-hmm. I never I never felt like fit because I saw that with my uh all over the place um personality um, maybe I'm too much for them. I disturb maybe somehow and uh, yeah, it was kind of too, too, too quiet for me. And I thought, I, I want to move to another country, but where? I have no idea. And it's not so easy also for Russian citizen because I need this, all this, visa the visa documents, everything, mm. yeah. And so I went to Barcelona first for the dance festival, mm. just because there was a dance festival here. It was the first time visiting this place in my life, and I loved it. But I had no time, because I was busy with the festival, to see the the city and I saw that it's so nice that I need to come back for vacation and I did so I came back for vacation like m- months later summertime and uh, I met a guy also mm. uh, who was from the same uh, same same environment like uh, he he will he's into music he has his sound system but also dance hall and reggae so this this these two words are very connected. Mm. If you're doing the music uh, and dance hall or again, if you dance, they're always together. Um, so I come back again to see him, and uh, I've noticed that in Barcelona the dance hall scene is much bigger. Mm. Um, it's much easier to bring big artists from Jamaica to Barcelona than to Helsinki. Mm. More dancers. People are like, I think mentality also works here, like Spanish mentality versus Finnish mentality. Finnish people are quite um, humble, mm-hmm. you know, and Spanish are like, yeah, yeah I can more, do and that. More, and more expressive, uh, and yeah, I'm the best. They, they're mm. not, they're not shy to go on stage to compete and everything. Mm. So it gave me impression that yeah, this is it. Being a dancer here is much better. Yeah, sure. So. I was ready to move to another place and I saw these opportunities and also the guy and all, you know, everything falls into the decision. And then it happily ever after was the door, happily ever after door was open. I thought so, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Not really. It was a completely different door. (laughs) Yeah, what happened? After all. Uh, What happened? I couldn't really dance and this relationship also didn't work. Mm. Why couldn't you dance? I couldn't dance because um, I've been having problems with my back 
for a couple of years already, but uh, you know, when you are like a dancing, you think ah, I just I'm just tired. It will pass. Mm. Let me take a pill. It will pass. Uh, one day it, it didn't pass. <laughs> I just woke up in my bed and I couldn't move. Mm-hmm. Literally, I couldn't move. Of course, I was terrified, but then it was a time to really go see a doctor. And they made MRI and everything, and they said, okay, you have this um, protrusion, you know, you know, hernian protrusion, those things. Yeah. So I think everybody knows what hernia is when your discs are like. Yeah. How you call it? The slip. Yeah. Help me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's completely broken, mm-hmm. and it's get out and like um, disturb your nerve. So yes. Yeah. So it's. So you it's have this massive pain, and it can yeah paralyze yeah. you. And then it's yeah. not reversible. Yeah, nothing to be done with it. Maybe operation, but still, that's not really recommended. But in my case, it was not hernia yet, but protrusion very close to get already exploded. So they said. You know, you really need to stop and take care about it. And mm. th- it's also in quite sensitive area in my neck. So so you had to stop. Right. I, I mean, uh, they said, the doctor said, you you better stop now. You know, and uh, it was a difficult decision because I didn't want to. Mm. And uh, for me, it was like losing my whole life. Like and this is just before you're moving to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. I mean, you make basically made the decision to move to Barcelona. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. I already had everything booked. I closed all my doors in Finland. Mm. I had my tickets. Um, I was moving, yeah. And then I had to make a decision to stop dancing because I, I saw like I better have like better quality life and healthy life for longer term yeah. than keep on dancing now. And I don't know what's going to happen with my health like in a couple of years. And then you broke up with the guy also? Not, not right away, but later, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but, so you sti- but you still moved despite all this. I mean, you still went ahead and went to Barcelona. Yes, I did. That was kind of stupid, I say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why? Because um, uh, first of all, documents. Yeah, me being Russian citizen, it's mm. not so easy to move around. So, um, yeah, the guy, uh, we were madly in love. We thought we we're gonna be together forever and everything. And uh, there was two options either for him to come live with me in Finland for a couple of years more so I will apply for citizenship and then I will have like a European passport and then I can just go whenever I want mm. or me coming to Barcelona and we get married and this is how I get my visa in Spain and he insisted on the second option because he didn't want to go to Finland basically yeah and th- that was fine no because um we were really in love, as I said, and we thought we will be together forever. So why not, actually? Mm. Mm, yeah. Uh, that m- that meant for me that I really burned all my bridges behind. Like, if things would not work well with him or he betrayed me or something just on the way in between this process of me uh, having documents, I would have no other options by go back to Russia, mm. I couldn't go back to Finland, that would be like, I'll be completely fucked that was like risking everything um, yeah mm. all my independence and everything but you stayed in Barcelona and I came to Barcelona, yeah uh, stayed there uh, so we got married and uh, I tried still to teach dance 
for first couple of months, but I realized that nope, <laughs> you should stop now. Mm. Yeah, I stopped. I tried to take care about my health, um, recover. I did. Now I'm I'm perfect. Like and, and in a good shape. Everything good. Actually, I think I could maybe start dancing again little by little, just for fun at least. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah. I, I and I got my first office job ever. <laughs> like but that I isn't you. I mean, you're not an office. Person, no, right? exactly. So uh, I, I, I never, I was never working in the office like sitting, and that was so difficult. You know, you have to sit mm. eight hours. <laughs> yeah, you have to. That sit, was yes. that was the most difficult. That, they thing could tie to me. you to the chair, maybe. <laughs> like yeah, like your parents. No, yeah. <laughs> who are you? My mom. Come on. Yeah, but. Uh, but the Russian, uh, no, sorry, the the Russian, uh, the office job. I mean, that pays the bills. I mean, that's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because I I needed I need a job. Uh, yeah. Mm. So that was good. And then, Barcelona makes you. It's interesting. You kind of you, you leave, um, your hometown as a failed economist, <laughs> to become uh, and you have a rebirth as a dancer in Finland, and then. You were gonna be an even greater dancer in Barcelona, and then you go there. Yeah, you get that office job, and everything goes to shit. Yeah, life is amazing. Like you, yeah, you never know what's happening. Yeah, <laughs> and and you become a comedian. And yes, yes, <laughs> I ha- lost my job in the office during the pandemic crisis mm. because it was related to Airbnb, uh-huh. and they closed the whole office in Barcelona. Mm-hmm. First tourist, May, first tourist May, industry, yeah, yeah. two thousand twenty. Mm. Yes, and um, I I was I was without any job for almost a year, like not able to find anything. Mm. Uh, still a pandemic year last year, and actually it worked well for me because I had plenty of time to reconsider things. And actually, when I started my therapy as well, maybe I can uh, say a couple of words about it because it's interesting technique is a hypnotherapy. Mm-hmm. So all this um, gave me a, like an energy boost and uh, also a possibility to uh, reflect and connect with myself. And I decided that let me try comedy. Mm-hmm. I always liked it. I've been doing like theater or comedic theater with my friends, just like a hobby mm-hmm. all my life. Whenever I would have free time from dancing, I sh- shall say this, you mm. know. But what what was it? What what made it attractive? What makes comedy attractive for you? Um. So I couldn't dance anymore, and I felt that I really miss something to be creative and also to perform. Yeah. Yeah, but there are a million ways to be creative. I mean, you can draw, you can paint, you can make uh, ceramics, you can. I mean, there there are. Is there something because you you, dancing and comedy is kind of you're on stage. You're you know like you're. Yeah. You're like in the attention. Is is that something? Yeah, I was saying that that should be something where I will be performing for people. Mm-hmm. I have to be. I have to be on stage, mm-hmm. and it's not about attention seeking. I'm sure. I'm sure. Not not my case. It's more like this magic when you are in front of your audience mm. and you look them in the eye and you um 
you see you're doing you something right. You give them something. Mm. You give them idea or you give them energy or you give them mood or atmosphere. They take it, they receive it and they give you something back. This exchange is amazing. Mm. This moment I feel I feel like a eph- euphoric when I perform. Mm-hmm. And why comedy then? I because comedy is amazing. Are you fun are you funny? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, they love it. I mean, uh, look, look at me. I'm here. Uh, I'm performing. If if I wouldn't be funny, I think they you're wouldn't you're let you're me perform. You're on a European tour. A European tour. <laughs> but Asking no, but for sports. <laughs> but um, but um, um, I mean, because I, I mean, I I I love performing myself. Or you know, like, but I I think for me it's the attention seeking. You know, I I I like attention mm-hmm. and. And I get some adrenaline from it. So in my previous life, when I had businesses, I liked when I was having speeches and and talking on stage, and and uh, it was great, you know. And and it's and that was I was curious about if if you're an attention whore like me, you know. Maybe people will call me that if you know, because I I I I really want to be in the center all the time, but it's not like. A, I I don't feel that I'm attention seeker. I just it's a natural. Need it. yeah, it's, it's, a it's a natural. natural. Yeah. Like even in that stupid office job, mm. um, I was always my team. They called me a manager, even mm. though I was not a manager, mm-hmm. because um, every day I would come to the office in the morning, and first I start. I I needed to organize all of them to have fun. And to communicate between each other. Mm-hmm. When I see them just being uh, at uh, their computers, not paying attention around, like yeah, I didn't feel comfortable. So I I would come somewhere in the center, uh, throw like stupid joke here, stupid joke there. Hey, how are you doing? How are you doing? Uh, and be- you know, I create mm-hmm. some communication between them. And when I see that everybody is like together and they're having fun, I calm down and go to my computer. I was always doing that. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Same happened at school and university. I was organizing events for us, parties for us, stuff like that. I so amongst I your like friends, it. you would always be the one to make anything happen. If there is like, if you're meeting old friends, then yeah. it's it's you who organizes and makes sure that it happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. All the time. Um, but um, <laughs> it's interesting because this is also one of the traits of. Uh, Children of narcissists. All right. Uh, just, uh, <laughs> so I'm um, just yeah. sick. <laughs> <laughs> You're taking the boxes one by one. Um, but how was it then? I mean, so you wanted an, an art form where you're expressing yourself and you're getting the feedback from the crowd and and uh, and creating that connection and atmosphere. But it's not just something you do. I mean, you just don't. I don't know. Like. Did you just show up somewhere at an open mic and and say, okay, I'm now I'm gonna go up there, or did you know? Did you prepare a lot, or? Yeah, uh, let me just uh, add a little comment to what happened before. <laughs> you know, you know, you know. I I thought I thought it was a natural talent of mine, <laughs> and mm. you tell me it's trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to shit. Uh, Sorry to shoot it down like this. Uh, okay, yeah. Um, but out of every trauma. Uh-huh. If you get through it, mm-hmm. there's always some improvement at the other end of the tunnel. You mm-hmm. know? Still doesn't <laughs> make me feel okay. better. Uh-huh. <laughs>
Okay, um, comedy in Barcelona. No, nah, yeah, no, but when you, yeah, when you started, I mean, like, did you just go somewhere to an open mic and say, okay, I'm going to go out there and be funny? Or did you have something that you've been working on? No, I, I, even now, I, most of the time I go on stage, I'm not 100% sure what I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. So the first time, um, even though I knew a lot of people in Barcelona, I knew nobody who would know anything about comedy. Mm. And I just tried to make a research on Facebook. I, I found one one show. I went to see that show. Uh, right after um, um, they started having some shows after lockdown, you know. Uh, so I went to see the first show. I loved it. They said they're going to be another one Saturday. I come back Saturday. On Saturday after the show, I... I came to talk to people, to comedians. I said, I like it. I want to do it myself. Blah, 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 blah. Um, I went to see a couple of shows more. And then I come to the, the host, the showrunner. I said, I want to perform next Monday. Mm. And surprisingly to me, he said, yeah, okay. And open mic, of course. And it was one week for me to prepare. I had never been trying to write comedy before that. And uh, it was quite an intense week. But I I work like this. I like short distances. Mm. I can't plan much, and I I needed myself again to be thrown into the challenge. Yeah, to have your back against the wall, so mm-hmm. that you had to do something. Yes, yes, yes. And yeah, I I was writing so much uh, shit in my pants, being very nervous. Mm. And how was that first show? Amazing. Yeah. I run. Uh, did the the crowd agree with you, or was it just your own experience? Of course, it was not super funny. I mean, as a first time, I <laughs> first time performing. Of course, not. I'm amazing mm. about how I felt yeah. on stage. You loved it. I loved it. No stress. I I loved it so much. That's what I'm saying. Like um, when I um went on stage, I took the mic and I saw all these people looking at me on the same level. That's what I like about comedy. When you perform in small rooms, you really yeah, like you're not really standing on a podium or yeah, anything. You're yeah, you're like in the in the living room. Yeah, I need a podium. Friends. Yeah, and this energy exchange it was so good. Mm-hmm. And if they start laughing at your jokes, it's just my god, the best feeling on earth. Mm. But I run the time. You know, this is very very bad mistake um, for a comedian to run the time that you. If you're given five minutes, you need to go after five minutes. I did like ten minutes. I never realized it was this much already. Mm. But it comes with experience, of course. Um, interesting thing I've noticed about the way you feel when you dance or when you perform comedy, when you talk to people on stage. Like when I used to dance, it doesn't matter if it was a big stage or if it was a small stage or if it was inside a classroom, in the club, if it was like a, a battle, you know, like like in street dance, you know, right? Like it's a crowd and you make like a little spot in the middle and mm-hmm. people go battle. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Is that matter. called a bottle? Yeah, battle. Battle. Oh. Didn't know that. Like breakdancing on a square somewhere. That that mm-hmm. would be like a... Yeah. To be honest, I'm not sure if it's called also a battle in every dance style, but dance hall for sure, that's a battle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, when I, whenever I would start dancing, 
I knew that there are people around me and I know that I perform for them and I want to express something for them to give them some kind of idea. So we definitely communicating somehow on the on energy level. Mm. But even if I would look at them with my eyes open, I couldn't see them. Something switched off and I couldn't see them. I was like looking inside me, inside myself, and seeing this, I don't know, these ideas that I want to uh, tran- transfer to them mm. inside myself. Mm. But, so the energy is kind of inside, is accumulated inside, and you know that it's going outside. Mm. That's it. But when you perform comedy, or when you talk to th- in the mic, to the people next to you, I felt like I'm naked because I needed to look in the eye of every everyone mm-hmm. around me, and I need to create this uh, the bridge of energy mm. going back and forth, back and forth all the time. It's interaction. I give them something, they need to give me back, and this is how we communicate. Mm. Completely different thing. Mm. But um, how is it to be a girl in comedy? I mean, is, do you think it's different than to be a guy? I mean, are there like yeah. are the expectations to you different than to a guy? Is the crowd nicer or more difficult? Or yeah, it seems like we are in this <laughs> feminism world now. No, not not yet. I still see that even Barcelona is very very forward mm. into that. Like we have quite many girls in our scene, but I s- still can sense certain expectations from like the crowd, for example. Like what? Uh, Are I you supposed to be in a certain way or dress or, or I don't know? Again, or I, or I do believe that for, for a guy to be liked, by audience is easier. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it can be funny. When it's a girl, you kind of need to work harder and you need to break through the way you look. Like I had this concern about how should I, how should I dress? And I thought if I, if I gonna, if I gonna dress like I would normally do in my, in my life, Dresses, heels, I I enjoy it. Mm. I do enjoy it very much. It will just distract attention from maybe from the male audience, like you would be judged on the wrong basis yeah. or or yeah, mm. from the male audience maybe they will just looking at me like at a girl, and the female audience audience will be like, huh, so you look good, you also funny, like mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you think are you queen of the world like. I mm-hmm. maybe I'm exaggerating, but to be honest, I still feel it mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I find with like if I if I think now when I'm listening to you, uh, if I think that actually like with guy guys in comedy, I mean I they are very much um, not dressed up ever. For example, like. I feel that what I like actually about comedy is that it takes a lot of 
snob away. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can have a comedian who is a banker, maybe as a main job, and just comes to in a t-shirt and jeans, you know? Okay. Uh, what and I, I feel the cl- yeah, the, the playing ground is kind of level mm-hmm. leveled there, you know? What I think now, um, both about your material, about your delivery style and the way you look, it's very important to be yourself. Mm. That's a beauty about stand-up comedy. Um, you need to be very sincere and vulnerable. And if you're not yourself, it's not happening then. Mm. Also, the way you look. So, for example, if this guy would like to go on stage wearing suit, why not? It has. To, it just has to be very authentic, um, authentic, in har- mm. in harmony with uh, his um, his personality, the way how he feels, and also in harmony with his material. I guess. Mm. Yeah, maybe people in suits are just they don't have a sense of humor. We have this one one uh, one gentleman. I can't call him any other word because he is <laughs> in Barcelona. He was always going on stage wearing suit. Mm. I loved it. Mm. It looks so good on him. Also goes well with uh, the style of his jokes, mm-hmm. like this um, intelligent one-liners. I I like it. I like mm. it very much. Mm. But what you said, you know, like you being authentic and vulnerable on on stage. I mean, do you make fun of yourself, for example? I mean, is that something? Because some comedians do that. You know, they start by joking somehow about themselves. Mm-hmm. That kind of puts them. It could be. A, it could be a, just a cheap move. You mm. know, mm. like uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a loser. I'm shit, and so. You guys can feel bad about yourself, so mm. you're gonna like me because I'm not a threat for you. Mm. Mm. Well, this was deep. <laughs> I'm not a threat to you. I I, I didn't think about it like that. Uh, the, yeah, I think mm. the the crowd needs to feel comfortable. Mm. They they can feel they they can feel like scary though, like a like a dread. Yeah, it for them it will be better to mm. feel that they are better people, more prettier. Clever. I like where successful. this is going. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go to comedy now. Feel really successful yeah. and pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you don't do that. You don't make fun. I mean, you don't put yourself down to. I make fun of myself all the time in my life as well. When I talk to my friends, mm. I do it all the time. But uh, I don't know to to a certain level, not too much. Mm. I mean, again, being authentic. If I don't feel it, I'm not saying it. Mm-hmm. If I feel like this, yes. There was a guy actually uh, previously on my podcast, a comedian. I've had a few comedians, and um, he, I think, I think it was with him. We had this conversation about like um, he, 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 he is, he is overweight, and he makes fun of that. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, it allows him to make fun of overweight people. Mm-hmm. So he he kind of saw it as a how do you say a gatekeeper, you know, or opening. He could open some topics that he he 
it was harder to criticize him because he had made that joke and even a worse joke about himself. Does comedy work like that for you? I mean... Mm, I think you can, I believe, you can make joke about absolutely everything. Mm. If the joke is good enough. Can you move the mic a little bit closer? Yeah. Yeah, like this. Yeah, or, or lift yourself up. You're kind of sliding out of the chair. <laughs> <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> yeah, good. So you can, yeah, you can make fun of anything, right? Mm. Uh, I don't like to uh, put limits on comedians. Mm. Mm, they should not be scary to you to, you know, to cross over the lines, but. Don't use um, don't use a hot topic just for the sake of hot topic. Again, it's a cheap method, you know. If you if you feel connected personally to mm. the subject, mm. or either if you have very clever, well written joke about the subject, then do it. Mm. But what what I mean because now like we have Me Too, we have uh, feminism, we have. Uh, climate crisis, no climate emergency. I think it's called now. And are uh, you just going through all the topics I make jokes about? Yeah, <laughs> but some of those things are more sensitive than others. I mean, like in general, in in let's say in a in a society in societies and in discussion and and so on. Are there any? Because you just said that you know comedians should not be limited in what lines. He crossed. Are there any lines that you wouldn't cross, or any any of those topics? I don't know. Um, um, yeah, when I was saying there should be no limits, I mm. was thinking, yeah, there should be limits. There should be limits. You you need to think about what you're saying. Mm. Am I right? It has to be a clever joke. What I'm what I'm saying, clever joke. So try not to hurt no one. Still. There's a danger. There will be somebody in the crowd who will be oversensitive or just stupid, or not knowing how comedy works. Mm. That and they, will get they offended. Paid them and they paid. They paid entrance to a comedy club, so they are most likely going to hear something that might offend someone. So they actually make the mistake by going there in the first place. <laughs> no. um. But wait. So so in 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 isn't this then a mo more a problem now? Because people are offended about everything. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I guess so. And they're offended on behalf of others. They're offended on behalf of people they don't even know. <laughs> yeah, that that that's very that's very stupid, I say. Yeah. <laughs> but but how is this, you know, like so you don't give a shit about this. You just go ahead. You tell your jokes. Um joke has to work. Yeah, yeah, but so if they're not laughing, I I say if they are not laughing, if you don't get good laughs for this joke, that means the joke is bad, and it could be a joke on very uh, hot topic. Mm. That means you need to change something, mm. and that means the joke is offending rather than being funny mm. or upsetting rather than being funny. So if we are here in twenty years, then then. <coughs> the stuff you're doing today is offending maybe one or two people in the crowd and 20 years is going to be all of the crowd and there will be one person left. <laughs> well, uh, seems, it seems to where it seems to be where it's going. I mean. <laughs> no, I mean. 
I I gonna be such a clever comedian that mm. I will be able to jungle with uh with his jokes and hot topics however I want. Yeah, I'll be still laughing. That's this my is goal. This is why you're on the European tour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's my goal. I'm offending people here, offending mm. people there. <laughs> I had a guy. I had a guy um, screaming um, in in the middle of my joke just before the punchline. He was like, "This is too much. This is too much. <laughs> like, stop it." <laughs> and how do you deal with that? I mean, when when you have someone calling out and these hecklers, you know. Uh, hecklers, yes, we love them. So uh, that was. My very first situation like that, of course, I can't tell how I deal with it because it was my first experience, which gave me a good lesson. Mm. I think I I did wrong thing in that situation that day. What I did is also a combination of circumstances because I was finishing my set. I had to go. There was just a last joke and very dark joke, mm. very dark but funny. Mm. So, just giving them the premise for this joke and not giving them the punchline wouldn't work. Yeah, it's just saying something really bad, really upsetting to the people and not making them laugh in the end and going, leaving the stage, that will be so bad. So, he was ruining my punchline and I couldn't find anything bad in that situation to do, just uh, kind of look him in the eye and still say my punchline, but loudly. Mm. And I don't think that was the right decision. But uh, Now, normally, I would say that you need to give attention to hecklers every time they try to talk to you, scream whatever they do. That means something is wrong. They or, or they just need need to talk yes yes and uh, i'm here to entertain them so maybe they're right mm. you know at least at least it will be good to try to find out why is this person now screaming screaming what's mm. going on is it is it upsetting him mm. or he just want really attention or he tried to be funny too every situation is di different right yeah but i th i think i think this what you just said now is i think is a very interesting point because i think comedy clubs are an environment where you go in you have two three beers yeah and it's about being funny it's about comedy you automatically a lot of people they automatically think okay i'm i'm also funny i can <laughs> also be funny I should be on this stage. Yeah. This is what I feel when I go to a rock concert. If I have two beers or more, I, I honestly think that there is a mistake that, that I'm not in Guns N' Roses or that I'm not in Metallica. And I have no talent <laughs> or anything like that. But I honestly think that it must be a mistake that I'm not up there. I, I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, I'm a star. <laughs> just undiscovered, you know? So you need to make Come them feel like stars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you ask their name and you make them a... Part of the show. Part of the show for the rest of the night. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Always talking to them. Mm. Now, like, that that situation happened, I don't know, two months ago in Barcelona. And it, I say, it's given me a good lesson. I change my um, behavior on the stage completely now. Mm. I do a little crowd work every time it's possible. 
Mm-hmm. Even if you have to give up the joke, it's better to do crowd work if they ask for this. Yeah, if the if the crowd is ready for it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how how uh, <coughs> is it? You know, some Russian stereotype in comedy. I mean, is there a, mm. a, 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 a uh. joke that every Russian comedian has to make? Please. Okay. Um, I hate stereotypes. Mm. This is one thing I had the most <laughs> in this life. I hate stereotypes so much. Mm. Mm. I don't know about Russian comedians. You see, I'm not living in Russia for a really long time. I know that comedy is big in Russia, and I'm, I'm following everything on in, like on the internet. But I'm not one of them. I don't live there. Would and you be funny there if you would go with your program now to Russia? Would they? Yeah, would you know like that. I just said that I did my very first show in Russia mm. here in Prague mm. yesterday, last mm. night. I was so terrified. Mm. I, you can't imagine, like, um, it's my native language and mm. I know the culture, you know, it's supposed to be much easier than in English. But I was so terrified. I thought, I, I can't be funny. Mm. <laughs> Um, and it worked it w- out. It went very, really well. It was mm. amazing, and it's and like it's a Russian crowd completely. It's a Russian-speaking crowd, like people from all these countries. Yeah, Kazakh, Kyrgyz, yeah, yeah, right, Armenia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and but how? If uh, because I'm just curious because you know, like when when people hear Russia, we hear Putin, we hear uh-huh. you know communism or they're bad people or whatever the fuck you know oil gas. Uh, we don't hear comedy. Is mm-hmm. is does Russia have a sp- you know? Is there I don't know. Is there a Russian style comedy? There, yeah, I think there's a Russian style comedy. Mm. W- uh, that would be different, but or, or uh, maybe it only works in in Russia itself. Uh-huh. And I say comedy comedy scene is really big and growing. Mm. They're doing nice job, but because of the Politics again in all those countries. Um, they are really limited now about what they can talk about. Um, so yeah, so they have to self-censor. Very much, yes, mm. very much. It's dangerous. It is dangerous. No other word. Yeah. Mm. Uh, ab- about um, these people, like, so I was at the show yesterday here, and. Uh, they're doing a uh, comedy in Russian for for Russians or people from the you know more or less si- similar situation, political and cultural situation countries. Um, they seem to me um, somehow similar to those comedians I see on internet mm. who live in Russia, but more relaxed. And uh, I can see now that they are also trying to look up at the big comedy stars from states, from England, mm. you know, same as me. But they're quite different from my style, yeah. Because mm. uh, I started I started comedy in Barcelona, being surrounded by... Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you're shaped by the environment. Yeah, very international group of comedians, mm. which I actually like. Mm. Yeah, but so my problem was that because I was the first uh, Russian comedian in Barcelona mm. and uh, all these other comedians, they they were so happy to put all these stereotypes on me 
<laughs> and I was kind of. So you couldn't really use them yourself. I didn't want to. Mm. I didn't want to. I, I am Mila. Mm. Uh, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a Russian girl, you know. I I'm, I want to be myself. Everything mm. that. Yeah, you don't want to be identified uh, just as that. Yes, yes. Also because mm. of my comedy style, I like to do strange jokes or some I, I i don't want to i didn't want to walk on stereotypes from the beginning i never wanted to even make any small jokes about where i come from mm. i was not inspired by this but i was kind of forced to mm. that direction mm. so yeah i do it a little bit and now some some jokes i use um kind of build up on stereotypes um are one of my favorite jokes yeah mm. I think I don't. I, uh, people have to come and and look at your shows. I mean, uh, mm. and and I, I also on your Instagram there are some shorter videos, and I know that you're preparing to put more on YouTube and do do more stuff like I this. Sh- right? I should start, yeah. Uh, even about Instagram, um, I I I had the same problem when I used to dance. Mm. Uh, I'm very shy. Mm-hmm. I'm very shy. Mm-hmm. I'm showing uh, showing myself on social media. I can't even look at it myself. Uh, now you really need to tell me that it's something coming from narcissistic yeah, <laughs> survival it's, it's a, it's a t- <laughs> one of the traits of uh, children of narcissistic That's parents. For yes. sure. <laughs> That's for sure, yeah. <laughs> now I agree with you completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, I should start. I should start uh, taking care of my Instagram because... Uh, mm. and, uh, yeah, of course you have you have to. This is how you show yourself to to all the comedians around the world and people who might I don't know. Yeah, book you book into you. their club or whatever. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's it's just. Uh, but also, I saw that for now I've been trying to build uh, any good enough or proper material and then record it in a good quality and mm. to to post it. Another thing I'm it's bothering me right now. Should I really? Post every joke I do on Instagram because I I kind of want to keep a mystery. I think maybe for for comedian uh, it will be good to have like couple of proper videos maybe on YouTube. So mm. you if if any person who can book you for a proper show can have a look. Mm. But for Instagram maybe it's better to to post like short clips. With crowd work better, mm. you know, or something mm. that just happens uh, at the moment. Yeah, not yeah, spontaneous. Right, not mm. your joke, because mm. keep those jokes, you're going to tell them. Mm. They don't yeah, do. yeah, yeah, and you want people to come and hear them in the club and so on. But of, of course, the other part is part of your branding and, and marketing. Talking about Instagram, what's your Instagram? Mila Shaurus. It's like Mila Dinosaurus mm. <laughs> together. <laughs> And I, I will post a link to that in, in the episode description as well. And um, um, there's one thing I was thinking about, like like when you identified as a comedian, I mean, yeah. some people identified as a male or a female or, a, or nothing, you identified as a comedian. When that happened, did that change anyhow? How people see you? Do you know what I mean? Do people expect you to be always funny, or that you're always making a joke, that they can just put like one euro into you and then, okay, now she says something funny? Yeah, it's quite annoying, right? Uh, Does it? Is it like that? It is a, a bit, a bit, yeah. Mm. Um, I say that 
uh, friends I I used to have like even before the comedy, they always been saying me that I'm funny. And when I say that uh, I want to try, they're like, yeah, go try it because mm. you're you're funny. You're always funny. Of course, this is definitely a thing. Uh, support me very much. Uh, I I'm, I really appreciate it. Um, they are the best. And uh, people I get to know now. Um, I mostly uh, spend my time around other comedians or, you know, people like who come to see a comedy show. Mm. So, okay, they already see me performing. They're not going to come to me and say, yeah, tell me a joke now. Yeah, they're th- like they're tired of jokes anyway. Yeah, they're or, or they can, what, what another kind of annoying thing, uh, but okay, I understand people are still going to be doing this. They would come to you and say, ah, you need to make a joke about that. Mm-hmm. Or why not? Mm. Because and because. <laughs> but it's. It, I think that comes with the, the setting. You know, like you're saying, it's a very intimate thing, especially in those smaller clubs. Everybody feels that they are equal because you're not standing on a huge stage. Maybe. Mm. No, but I, I love it. Uh, it's it's the best. It's the the best um, recognition you can have if mm. people come to talk to you after the show, even yeah. just to say hi, yeah. that means a lot. That means mm. they like you, they remember you, and they want to kind of thank you or congratulate you for, you know. But what if, what happens when, when people out of the blue send you on Facebook a message and ask you to be on their world-class podcast? I mean, does that feel good? I felt first, like... It's a stalker here. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> surprise! I'm like sus- very suspicious. Like me, <laughs> and I said I send this to my uh, to to the chat. Like we have a chat with my comedy buddies. Yeah, my comedy family. So so I went through some sort of an auditioning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They said, oh, he right. he he seems legit. <laughs> Great. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm saying about it. No, but hey, I, I, this is how I get people. I just find random people, honestly, and I send emails and I send them messages on LinkedIn and Facebook and whatever. And <laughs> and you know, some people answer me back, or some people don't answer me back. And then I just send them like ten other emails. And if they haven't answered that, then I just send. Oh, I know where you live. <laughs> this is how I, I populate my podcast episode. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> yeah. So you, you you know what I said to 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 this uh, friends of mine, my comedy buddies. Mm. So um, I I I send them a screenshot of your message. Mm. I was like, I look at it, guys. <laughs> Who is that? They're like, Why not? Sounds good. Podcast. Wow, <laughs> you popular. Go. <laughs> I'm like, All right, but I'm gonna take my gun with me. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Uh, like yeah, Russian jokes. <laughs> Here we go. I don't <laughs> like stereotypes. Actually, I dated the Russian girl here once and. She uh-huh. When she picked me up the first time in her car that looked like she had some job that paid a lot of money, uh-huh. she had a gun in the car. And I remember <laughs> when I op- uh, when I saw the gun in the glove, uh, you know, in the in that little container, I was kind of like, shit, you know, I'm not sure I should be <laughs> here. But then uh, now she moved away, so um, I'm, I'm safe. Okay. I also have a story about the gun. Uh, mm. story again, back to my childhood. <laughs> Traumas. So... Um, when when I was a kid in our like a summer summer house, which was like in a in, in the middle of a wild woods, um, I used to have a gun, like a short gun, mm. under my mattress. Yeah. For the bears or something. <laughs> yeah, or? yeah, bears. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. You know. You know the fairy tale. The story about the princess on the pea. Mm. 
mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I was a, there's a Russian version I was sleeping on. <laughs> on, a, on a gun. <laughs> on a gun, yeah. <laughs> because um, um, I think uh, my dad had to keep it under the mattress, uh, maybe first because this gun was um, not uh, registered. Hi, uh-huh. dad. And um, another thing is that in in th- that the summer house was like in the middle of wild woods and uh we could go there uh only summer time because uh, when it's winter snow and snow winter. you just can't even reach there it's, mm. it's really a wild area and um and people from um, uh, local villages around would come and uh, try to break in they, they basically it was happening every winter mm. and just steal everything they could find so i think he was just kind of hiding it mm-hmm. but it's kind of weird right because why would you hide it under the mattress of your child I w- uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah but you were armed to dangerous but you came here i'm gonna I'm, you're not gonna kill me after this now we finished recording you were killed me before we started right okay <laughs> thanks for coming mila have a nice trip to berlin and and be successful with your shows there thanks <laughs> thank you bye